this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. Hey, this episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by the Value Builder System. I had the opportunity to interview Stephanie Breedlove the other day. She sold her $9 million payroll company for a cool $54 million. How does she do it? She focused on the eight things that drive company value. Things like what we call the Switzerland structure, monopoly control, recurring revenue, all things you're going to evaluate in your own business using the Value Builder score. It takes about 15 minutes to complete the survey. Go to valuebuilder.com. You know, one of the common questions I get from audiences is, can I sell my name? What's my company brand worth? What about my company reputation? I've been serving this community for decades. Is that worth anything to buyers? The answer is it could be. On the surface, buyers don't really value squishy things they can't put their hands around and actually put a number towards. But there is a way that you can actually monetize your name and your company's reputation. And my next guest, Carl Gould, did exactly that. He was in the business of construction. And construction can be one of those businesses which is pretty project to project. Very hard to build sort of a lot of uh, goodwill in your company when you're building houses and so forth. But what he did was he licensed his name. And for five years after the sale of his company, he benefited financially from that name and the reputation he'd built. So to tell you how he did that, here's Carl Gould. Carl Gould, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Hey, John, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So I know a little bit about you because we, we run in similar circles. We, you know, we, we're both sort of a little bit on the speaking circuit. We've actually spoken at some of the same events, which is, which is cool. Um, I love your story. I love, I love the raw entrepreneurialism that, uh, that you grew up around. So, so talk, maybe you could just kind of do a bit of a synopsis of, of what you did in high school, your first business, sort of how you got into the, the entrepreneurial sort of uh, world. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, like a lot of things, you know, I think sometimes it happens by accident, you know, um, and this for me, it happened by injury. Actually, um, I was going to uh, the University of Delaware for accounting and finance and um, I broke my leg pretty badly in my second year and um, had to leave school. I was I was in a cast for three months with a straight leg and another three months trying to learn how to use it again. And so um, going back to school because I was paying my own way wasn't an option. Um, loans ran out; they all wanted to be paid back, and um, you know, grants and scholarships run out when you when you stop going to school. So, uh, unfortunately, since I was paying my own way, um, that was it. That that you know, I I was uh, had to grow up real fast and you know find a way to uh, uh, find a way to exist. And so, I had been doing landscaping all through high school, and um, I knew it well. I knew how to sell it knew how to implement the whole bit. So I started my first business. Um, I grew that business for five years. I actually doubled that business every year for five years. And then I sold it in the early nineties. And then I, um, I had a contract, I started a contracting and home building and real estate development company. And so one kind of morphed into the other. I started out doing subcontracting and then over time, um, you know, uh, one of my mentors said to me, 
you know, Carl, you have to get on the other side of the transaction. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you are, you are a for hire contractor. I said, yeah. He goes, you want to, he goes, you want, he goes, you want to fire your clients? I'm like, oh, that sounds great. And he said, uh, yeah, he goes, well, you buy the land, you build the building and then you sell to whoever you darn well want to, you don't, you, you control the transaction that way. And now, now in, in the year 2017, that sounds absolutely crazy that you would build on what we call build on spec. Like you would buy something, build it, and then try to sell it without having a buyer already. But pre-2005, that was the environment. And, um, and so uh, I ended up selling in 2004. But for those 12 years, that's what I did is I, I had, did some work for hire. I built specialty homes. Um, log homes, uh, modular con- modular home construction, and I also did uh, uh, commercial and industrial renovation work. And um, uh, so I, it was part contracting and part real estate development. And um, you know, I just I just grew that over time. And I wanted niche products, so I built log homes. And you know, when you first hear log home, you get this vision of this rustic little thing out in the woods. But that's not it at all. I mean, it was the nicest home in any community it was in. These were totally upscale, premium, uh, premium uh, buildings, and we did some commercial buildings and some uh, some residential buildings. But uh, it really took me along that path. Um, I I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. You know, what do they say? Like one in fifteen people is an entrepreneur. Yet. Um, uh, in my family, five out of 10 were, and I come from a b- very big family. So odds were I, I had that entrepreneurial spirit and, and, uh, followed through on that. And, you know, that's what led me into entrepreneurship at 18 years old, really. Got it. I want to go through and, and, and talk about, uh, you know, the development business and, and getting on the other side of the transaction before we do though, though, just let's touch on the landscaping business. So this was, uh, you know, New Jersey guy, so I'm assuming kind of landscape summer snow removal in the winter. Uh, it was that I also had a ma- uh, maintenance side of the business as well. When I first started, it was design build. So, um, you know, interestingly enough, when I, I always believed in getting the education for what you're working on. So when I, when I got hurt and I left, I I wasn't going to go back to school full time. So I went back to school nights to take business management and horticulture. So I started taking, uh, the classes that would assist me and help me in my landscaping business. So, um, so as a design build, as a designer and builder of landscape projects, that was my main focus, but I also had an entire maintenance division. And I was the very first contractor in the country who was certified in what is very commonly known now as modular conc- concrete wall systems. So you ever see those decorative keystone walls and you know what look like manufactured stone? Well, the very first manufacturer was in New Jersey. And when they were running their first certification class for contractors, I actually couldn't attend it. I had a scheduling conflict. And so the manufacturer made an exception and allowed me to go through the class that they put on for the civil engineers. And so I was the only contractor in it. And so for a period of time, I was the only certified installer of these block um, uh, in the country. And so uh, that gave me a real competitive advantage, especially in the beginning. Um, And how did you you sell the business? Maybe just talk briefly. I realize it was a long time ago, but. Oh, quite simply, the so um, kind of a roundabout way. The ver- one of the first lessons I learned 
John, it was literally the first week I owned my landscaping business. I went on three appointments in a row and I sold all three. And I couldn't believe my luck. I thought I thought I had been ordained by the landscaping gods that, you know what, Carl, you, you're, it's not even that you're good. It's that the, the, the landscaping light has shown upon you and it's in your DNA, right? I thought for sure I was like blessed with some gift. And so my father says to me, well, why don't you go back to the three people who said yes and find out why they said yes, because you can replicate that going forward. You know, having zero business savvy at the time, I said, sure, well, you know, good idea, dad. And so I go back and I talk to, um, I go back and talk to these customers that told me yes. And the number one reason why I was told I won the contract in, an, in a competitive and negotiated uh, bid situation was, is that I was the only guy that showed up. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? And they, and it was the most common answer. And so when I started asking, my clients were telling me all the complaints about contractors. You don't show up. You're not responsive. You know, you take too long. You tell me one price, you do another, you don't finish on time. And so I didn't, it was just instinctive. I didn't, I love to tell you I had some grand plan back then, but I realized that I got further in my selling by covering the downside complaints of dealing with contractors rather than talking about the upsides of working with me. And so- Sorry, you, you answered, uh, I was actually asking you about how you actually sold the, the, the landscaping company to a third party, like how you got out of the business. But right. your answer was really interesting from the standpoint of how you sold it to customers. Yeah. But actually, how did you sell it to the- the world and kind of move on to another business. Well, th this is how it works. So I learned this. And so as a result of understanding this piece, I charged premium pricing and I, I kept raising my pricing, raising my pricing until someone actually told me your pricing's obnoxious. Right. And so, um, I, uh, so I, I'm sitting with my number one competitor, a, a few years later and we started talking. He, I was the first guy certified in this certain type of block. He was the second and we were the two guys in the area. So we're sitting down one day and um, we we're talking about what we charge and I was charging almost double what he was for the same services and he couldn't believe it. He's like, you've gotta be kidding me. And so we had a handshake deal and I sold him that business um, within six months. Wow. Uh, what, what, did you, what did you get for it? Um, it was a, it, that was a straight, that was a straight sale. He bought the entire, he bought my entire maintenance division. He bought all of the, um, uh, my backlog and he bought my, um, uh, he bought my, uh, what you call it? Um, uh, my certification and, um, my access to, to these block systems. So it was a, it was a straight on sale, six figure sale. And, um, uh, he bought my business at the time for $150,000. Wow, and so and that and and that money was, um, you know, was that a multiple of your revenue or your profits, or was he valuing the, the hard assets of the? Like, how did he value that? How did you come up with, I guess, the the price? So we looked at the um, what on there. So there's a little there's a little bit of both. I had at the time that we did the sale, it was in uh, the spring, early spring. Uh, in March and in New Jersey, March is when the, when the season just gets started. And so I had a number of, um, my maintenance customers under contract already. So we took, we took a multiple of one-time revenue on those contracts. Um, he, um, 
Uh, I had a very proven record with those clients already. Many of them had been with me for five years, which is a lot longer than most. You know, the average uh, landscaper will keep somebody for three years before they start going out there. I had them for five. So they're really strong clients. I got one-time revenue on all of my um, on all of my uh, signed contracts. And um, I got a percentage of revenue, uh, depending on the project, I got a percentage of uh, uh, revenue or percentage of uh, anticipated net profit on the uh, construction jobs that I had lined up. Got it. So this is a, a, a windfall of money for like a guy in his early 20s. Uh, what happens next? Did you fall right into the development business or where do you go from there? Well, I, I grew up in construction, so I was very, very familiar with it. And it was actually a bit of a left turn for me to go into landscape in the first place. So a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, on both sides of the family, I had construction people and I was, um, you know, I wish I, I wish I would tell you I was a better manager at the time than I was. I was just more of a hustler at the time, you know, in my, in my business. And I was, and I was an owner operator for sure. And, um, uh, when I was in the landscaping company. And so I, I immediately kind of went back to what my roots were and what I knew. And in my landscaping business, I was also doing some contracting work, building decks, doing some small renovations. I understood it. Um, and I, and I had done work for a couple of developers at the time. And, and I, I really just picked their brain. I said, how did you get into it? What did you do? Because my two mentors at the time were not construction guys who became developers. They were in other businesses and became developers because real estate was just a good place to be at the time. And, you know, the, this part of the state uh, was growing and there was a lot of residential construction, a lot of commercial construction, and a lot of non-construction people were getting into the business. And so, I said, you know what, if these guys can do it, I can do it sort of thing. And um, uh, I kind of followed their path. Got it. And and, and so it, this is where you make the switch, if I'm following the story correctly, from uh, sort of doing jobs on decks and so forth to, to, to buying a piece of land on spec and then kind of building homes and then selling it. Is that right? That's right. So um, I had, um, uh, you know, in the... What, what I, I, it took about a year or so, but I, I was already looking into modular home and log home dealerships. And I was grateful for that because when you take on a dealership, you know, first thing they do is not only train you on the product, but they also train you on how to negotiate the deals and what are you looking for. And, and while many of those projects were for hire, um, I learned the ins and outs of buying raw land and getting it approved. And so one of my, and, and my mentor also, also taught me, he said, he said, look, I, I would tell you this, even if you weren't a young kid, he goes, but you look like you're 15 years old and no building inspector is going to want to sign off on anything you build. Cause if anything goes wrong, they're going to look at that guy or gal and say, well, you were the one who signed off on some 15-year-old building a home. <laughs> you allowed somebody <laughs> to enter that. So I was, John, I was failing inspections left and right in the beginning. So if you can find a project that I built early in my career, you ought to buy it because it is so overbuilt. It's like a bomb shelter because <laughs> I was so overbuilding these things. Um, and he said, he goes, the reason why is, he goes, these guys aren't, uh, they're not respecting you. You got to go out. And, and learn their language. So I went out and I got my building inspector's license 
and that totally changed the game. But the the education, the certifications, the dealerships that I got into was kind of like my MBA in how to buy, speculate, approve projects, and then ultimately sell them. Got it. Got it. So you're you're building these these homes, and again, I'm 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 ignorant when it comes to the developing world. So you're you're telling me stuff I don't really know. So so I mean. How does the business evolve from there? Are you buying like big parcels of land and creating multiple homes or is it kind of onesie twosies? Like what, what's it look like? Uh, so great question. So the, it was mostly single units, although I did do a few what they call subdivisions. I buy a piece of land, I subdivide it into multiple pieces, and then I, I sell the individual parts. And I did a few of those projects. I bought a lake property, made it into six different lots. I had a historic property, made it into four lots. I bought one piece, cut it in half, made it into two. Um, but it was mostly very small stuff. I mean, I had a nice size business um, for you know what was a few people, um, a few people uh, doing the management and then using subcontractors. Um, uh, so it, it, you know, coming from nothing, it was a nice size business. But I would have been considered a very small business. How did you you capitalize this business? I mean, how did you finance it? Um, well, in the for hire world, uh, in the for hire world, you you know the um, the owner you get the owner to buy the land and they take out the construction loan, um, and then so they finance it. In the I did a couple deals where I got private I got private investment from people who were um, um, uh, who were who were interested in getting behind the deal. Uh, again, at the time, remember the world was different back then. Real estate and real estate speculation was a was a safe bet. It is not now, but it was a safe bet then. And so the way I did it was, I said, okay, I'm going after the land and I'm going after the construction. Both are enticing to people for different reasons. So what I would do is, I got good at buying the land at a reasonable price. So I would go to a I would go to a an investor and I would say, okay, look. I've got this $200,000 piece of land. I think I get it for 80 grand. By the time I I get it and I cut it apart, it'll be worth say 250, 300. I'll say, you know, I'll cut you in on the profit of the land only. And they'll say, "Oh, that's great cuz I want nothing to do with the building." And so I'd get somebody who would fund the land. Once you own the land, you can use that again, then, not now. You can use that as leverage to then um, get the construction loans you need to build the homes. Now, when I was building modular, modular homes are a safe bet also because it's they're built in a factory and you literally, once you have the foundation and you literally erect the home in one day, a crane, you have a crane on site, truck, four or five trucks back up and they take pieces of the home. They, they, it's literally like that um, dollhouse that you see your kids, <laughs> dollhouse that you see your kids um, uh, have at their house where the house is cut in half and you can see the bathroom on one floor and the bedroom on the other. And, um, you, uh, you can erect the house in, in one fell swoop and you owe the money at that point. So the bank just pays the home directly. They feel comfortable that they're bypassing the builder. And so the, you have to assemble the deal, but it, um, the, the elements of the deal are low risk. And so, uh, and, and so I, I followed that blueprint throughout the, uh, throughout my career. Got it. And so as you're building this company, I mean, 
do you feel like you're building a company or do you feel like you're going from one project to the next? Let me, let me give you a bit, a bit of the backstory behind the question. I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, in particular in service businesses, uh, whether it's graphic design or architecture or law, it, it's hard to, it, and sometimes I think it's hard to feel like you're building something beyond you. You're just kind of, you're just kind of on the hamster wheel of going from kind of one project to the next. You may be making good money from one year to the next, um, but that sensation of building something beyond yourself is not really uh, there. I mean, I'm speaking from my own personal experience, having having been in businesses like that years ago. Uh, did you feel that you were building something, or did it feel like you were sort of on this sort of hamster wheel project to project in the beginning i was and i and i got to admit the thing that first got me thinking about selling my landscaping company was my leg didn't heal well and i knew there was a come a time where i was gonna have to step back significantly from anything i was doing to have another surgery on my leg and so that's what got me thinking about selling but when i sold the landscaping company i realized holy cow i actually built something when i got into contracting i did feel like on the hamster wheel i was hustling again job to job to job to job but once I made that switch where I got onto the other side of the transaction and I opened a deal, you know, I had two distributorships for different type of home products. Um, and I was this uh, certified installer of this other type of block very early in the game. I felt like I was building a business. I felt like I was building a name and a reputation. And I did some union work as well. And, you know, it takes a certain amount of infrastructure and bonding and, um, you know, to be able to do that. And so you couldn't just go out with a wheelbarrow truck and a, and a tool belt and and do the work that I was doing uh, when I ultimately sold. So I felt like I had a real company, at, at, you know, once I got into that. So, I, you know, that's helpful. It's, it's really it's really interesting to hear the distinction and, and what what took you across that chasm. What was the triggering event that made you want to sell and, and, and kind of move out of the uh the business of, of, uh, of kind of development? Well, you know, I tell you, it's, um, I, as much as I enjoyed the businesses and the rewarding aspect of building something that didn't exist before, you know, and I drive, yeah, I still live in the area where I used to operate. So I, I still drive past buildings that I've built and renovated and landscaping projects I've done. And it's been 20 to 30, you know, anywhere from 12 to 30 years now, and I can still drive past projects. So that's very rewarding. Um, I never, it was, the business was never for me. Like I never like fully woke up in the morning and said, wow, I'm excited to do this today. I absolutely love what I do. I, that wasn't the case. And I didn't really realize it until I got out how much it really was work for me. And, um, I did, I, it was all I knew, but, um, it got to the point I was in, it was in the mid nineties when I hired a business mentor, uh, and coach to work with me on my business. So I could, as we would say, hang up the hammer. Um, that was our mantra, uh, hang up the hammer and, um, you know, become more the CEO of my business. And the more I started to do that, the more I realized that, you know what, time was ticking for me. This is not this is not my passion. It wasn't my calling. Um, and I wanted to be more of a teacher and an educator. And so, um, I knew it was only a matter of time before, um, I would leave construction and find another path in life. Give me some specific, and I'm, and I'm hoping you can give me some, some really kind of tangible ways that you, that you started to hang up the hammer. 
like for entrepreneurs listening to this saying, yeah, I've got to get out of the doing, I've got to work, you know, to use Michael Gerber's term, work on, not in. Sure. Um, what were some of the very specific things you did to hang up the hammer? So I looked at the parts of the business I liked and I looked at the parts of the business I didn't like. And the parts I liked were creating the deal, negotiating the deal, going out and prospecting, um, working with the client to design the project. Um, and, and then I like the end of the deal. I like the deal when it would wrap up, when it would finish, you know, I would get the approvals. Um, I, I actually liked working with the bank. I liked working with the township or the municipality, um, you know, to create something because I felt like I was contributing to that community. What I didn't like was everything in the middle. And so what I, what I decided to do systematically was I said, cause there was a time when I was the carpenter, I was the, uh, I was the um, uh, the contractor itself. I said, which parts of this can I start to leverage? And I started to use subcontractors more and more. And so I used the normal ones, the the licensed uh, mechanical contractors, electrical, plumbing, a- air conditioning and all that. But then I started to use a framer. I never used a framer before because I was the framer. I started to use a framer. I said, you know what? I was pretty nice not to have to be climbing all over a roof and through rafters. And so then I got a siding contractor. And then one at a time, I started to, you know, I started to do less and less of the project. Um, and I focused on the parts of the project that I liked. The one part I held on to, my mentor had said this and he was absolutely right. He said, do your own excavation work. He goes, because that's, that's a big nut and it's all labor and it's a machine. And if you're already good at it, which I was, he goes, you, you'll even enjoy it. And you can actually monitor the job while you're doing the work. So he was right. And I did that work. Um, that was one of the best, um, that was one of the best, uh, pieces of advice that I, I got because where I would build, I was building in, if you build a log home, you're in, in our area, it overlooks a body of water, a river, a lake, a mountain, and, you know, we live in the land where you drill wells and you install septic systems. You know, you're not on city water and city sewer. Um, not most people think of it, New Jersey that way. Uh, but that's where I lived and built. And so um, I was very involved in that part, which was very complex. It was hard to do. It was very expensive. But because I knew how to do it and I got really good at it, um, it, it became a real profit center for me. So I went the route of outsourcing and uh, subcontracting as much as I could. And, and so I morphed from being really a general contractor to what would be considered a construction management firm. So I was, I was almost a consulting firm by the end. Got it. And so talk about the exit. So you have this epiphany, it, you're not loving what you're doing. Uh, where do you go from there? How did you get it on the market? Who, you know, did you hire a broker? Did you take it to market yourself? Walk us through that. You know, it's really interesting because I, in 2000 and uh, it was right around 2001, 2002, I, I had realized I'd, I'd hired an advisor in, t- in 96. We had worked together for five years. And then in 01, 02, I'm thinking I'm out I'm done. And my initial thought was I'm going to just close it down. I will finish up my contracts. I'm not going to accept any new work. And I had a two year backlog. If I just, if I did nothing else, I had two more years worth of work and projects. And I said, I said, uh, you know what? I announced to all of my subcontractors that this is it, guys. I'm taking no more work. And, you know, contracting can be somewhat adversarial. You know, you, you know, the people love you in the beginning. 
Uh, they hate you all throughout the project because they want to get in there. They want to get in. And every day that you're not, they're not in, you're the reason why. Right. And, and then the day you hand them the keys, they love you again. And I, and I got, that's why I love the beginning and the end. I didn't like the middle. And so I announced to my subcontractors one at a time, I said, guys, this is it. I'm not taking any more work. And even though it was adversarial, you know, it seemed adversarial at the time, I got to tell you, John, I probably did not pay for lunch or dinner for the next two years because all of my subs were like, you can't go out. You got to, you know, you got to keep going because I realized then how much of a hub of activity and work and jobs I was, you know, when I get a project, there's a couple hundred people that get jobs as a result for every project I'm working on, you name it. Um, and, and so I was this hub of all this activity. So I ended, so one of my subcontractors actually approached me and said, um, what, you know, so they said, explain this whole thing to me that you're getting out. And, um, and so I started to, I started to real think back to my landscaping days. And I said, wait a minute, this is sounding awfully familiar. I said, I've got a backlog. I've got a name. I've got projects. I've got contracts. Um, I had three development companies, you know, they were just the names of the projects at the time, nothing special about that. However, my contracting firm, I still owned that name and I had that name in the, and goodwill for, you know, almost 20 years at that point. And, um, and so we sat down and I said, you know, I said, I, I'd be willing to go now. I don't, I don't have to wait. I'd be willing to sell now. And they, and they asked what would selling look like? And I said to them, I said to them, well, you give me a down payment. I asked for 50 grand. Um, I said, you buy the assets. And I even wanted them to buy the name. I said, take the name, the whole bit. I had, I was actually, little known fact, I was, act, I was the on-air construction manager for the second ever construction reality TV show. <laughs> yeah. For in 2001, there was, a, there, in the beginning, there was this old house with Bob Vila, mm -hmm. right? And then there was a house called, there's a show called This House 2, T-O-O. And um, it was, there was a guy in New Jersey. He was a radio disc jockey that started the show. He needed a construction manager. Through a series of uh, coincidences, we got reconnected. He, and he said, I need a construction manager. And so I was the, I was uh, Norm for, you know, for the year his show was on TV. And uh, so I said, look, there's a name out there. I said, I'm on, I was on that show. We have the name the whole bit. and. Um, remarkably, they didn't want to use my name and they wanted to use their own. I tried to talk them out of it, but they couldn't. So I said, well, then how about this guys? And oh, and they didn't want my phone number. I said, you're crazy. You should take it. But anyway, they decided not to take the, the name or the phone number. And so I sold them. I, they gave me a down payment. I said, um, they bought, then they, and they bought the assets. And I said, and here's what I'll do. Anytime somebody calls me, I know how to sell this stuff. You tell me what you want to do the work for. And I'll just, I'll tee them up and I'll hand them over to you. How about that? You give me a commission. And, you know, back then the Google of the time was the yellow pages and nobody throws away their yellow page book. And so for literally five years after we sold, I would still get phone calls. Hey, can you build this for me? Can you do that for me? Can you manage this? And I would say, sure, I could. And I would quickly give them a range of pricing. Uh, I would tee it up. I'd hand it over to the buyer of the business. And, and they were, and I was, I was good at selling my services at a premium, at a premium rate. So there was plenty of room for commission in there. And, and, um, for the next five years, I, you know, I collected mailbox money, um, for, for, um, uh, you know, for, um, 
referring and helping them sell some jobs. So I love it. So what was the commission you were getting on percentage troops? It was, um, I mean, to the simple, the simple version is 10% of the job. Um, it depended on the job and what the, uh, the, the margin was. And if it was a house, you know, a bigger project, I'd get slightly less. I might get five or 6%. If it was a smaller job, I might get up to 20. But if you just think in terms of on average, 10% of, of anything I sold, I got, um, that's the way it worked. And got it. So, yeah. Okay. So the, the contracting firm, you said you, you got 50 grand as a down payment. What was the down payment? Uh, like, what was the like, was there a full payment? Well, you were down. When I think of a down payment, I think of like, a, you know, a, an upfront payment that there's a there's a back end payment coming that I've got to pay. What, it, was it truly a down payment? If so, what was the other side of that payment? So they gave me the uh, they gave me a deposit and I said, you know, this consummates the deal and I will turn over um, I will between us quietly, privately. I turned over the contracts implementation. I said, listen, I understand people hired me for this work. So I'll stay on and I'll just manage the relationship. I'll introduce you guys. You're going to deal with them most of the time, but I'll just manage it. And so they paid me the upfront money, but then um, over time, they continue to pay out. Uh, it was a guaranteed payout, but they had to pay out um, on progressive payments during the execution of all the contracts that they were buying. So they gave me the 50 grand down, but they paid me a couple hundred thousand dollars over the next uh, over the next two to three years on those contracts. And then anything else that I sold, I was getting 10%. Got it. So that was the piece I was missing. So the, the, the active contracts that they were taking over, you participated in the profit of that downstream after they, the projects went to market and, and were finished. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Got it. Got it. And so, so originally you were going to give them the name and the phone number, but they didn't want it. You know, <laughs> so you said, no problem. We'll take it. I realized, I realized how much I needed to get out of the business when I was adv almost advising most of my subcontractors, you know, most of the time and, uh, you know, being a bit of a mentor to them, like someone was a mentor to me. And, um, and I realized, you know, my, I could see how my focus had changed and I knew it was time to get out. And so, I, uh, I said to him, I said, guys, you're, you're missing a huge opportunity here. You should take the name. Um, I, I'll, you know, and they said, well, we were told not to buy the business because all the headaches with the business. I said, you don't have to buy the business. I'll just give you the name. Uh, we'll work out a licensing deal, you know, a dollar licensing deal so you get to use it. I said, but I've been in the yellow pages for 20 years, guys. I haven't missed I said, I have so much built up and I ran, I used to exhibit at the largest uh, uh, farm and horse show, which doesn't sound like much in Jersey, but it was the, it's the biggest fair in the state. And um, I used to sell almost a half million dollars worth of business out of that thing every year. I said, you have all of that that I've done all these years. You really ought to take advantage of it. And they were a bit headstrong, uh, fair enough for them. And uh, they wanted to stick with their name and they said, nope, we're fine on our own. And I said, well, well, if that's the case, if the phone rings, I made it as an if, not a when. I said, I'll tell you what, if the phone rings and somebody calls me, I knew darn well they would, um, and I don't want to do the work anymore, I'll pass it along to you. What what sort of deal would you like to set up? And they actually were like, kind of like, oh, oh, come on, Carl. Really? They're going to keep calling? I knew they were. They didn't. And so, you know, I said, yeah, well, if it happens, what 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 would that look like? And and so we, you know, we set up a couple of different commission levels to based on, based on the size of the job. And and um, and as it turns out, I fed them an awful lot of work and I just took a phone call, a couple phone calls a month in order to do it. And it, it worked out really well.
I love it. I love it. And, and, you know, one of the questions we get all the time is what's my name worth? Um, you know, what's my name worth? What's my brand worth? And my response is always, it's not worth anything unless people call because of the name right. or because people show a preference to pay a premium because they're dealing with that name, the, the logo itself. I mean, the Nike logo was whatever, uh, commission for like a hundred, you know, less than a hundred dollars or something like that. I mean, it's not in and of itself. It has no value unless it is what people, um, you know, call. And in your case, obviously they kept calling and you could monetize that. Uh, what, what are you up to now? And, and where can people reach you? Um, tell, you know, tell them about the book. Cause I know about the book, but they might not. So t just explain where they can get the book, that kind of stuff. Sure. So I, I wrote a book uh, uh, that launched um, recently. I'm very proud of it. it became a uh, bestseller on Amazon. And it's called Biz Dev Done Right. B-I-Z-D-E-V Done Right. So Biz Dev Done Right. Um, and you can learn you can learn some of the methodologies I used in my businesses on how to sell your uh, products at a premium at premium pricing. I go through all of that, how I did it over the years. And, um, and you can, anyone that wants to reach me can find me at carlgould.com or you could email me carl at carlgould.com. And I'm a C-A-R-L-G-O-U-L-D, Carl Gould. Carl Gould, thanks very much for joining us. Hey, John, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at Facebook.com slash Built to Sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. -L -L